So when you insert the money in a dip and dunk booth, uh, it triggers the camera. There's a little red light. That, that first wait can always be the most awkward one. And it's four Canadian $1 coins. You can really hear the transmission. Yeah, we were mostly just hearing the motor. We were mostly just hearing the motor. Like, kerchunk sound. Then there's a loud kerchunk sound. Kerchunk sound. Knife cuts the paper from the reel. That's the loud kerchunk sound. So when I go use a photo booth, um, usually I look around to make sure that there's no one else nearby and that I'm kind of like alone in that moment with the machine. Pull back the curtain, adjust the seat. As soon as I walk into a photo booth, I really can notice that chemical smell, like gasoline sort of thing. About two and a half seconds between each frame, you can kind of be like blinded. If the sponge is a little bit like spotty flex in the development of the, of the pictures, they mostly come out wet. And uh, when the photos come out, they're facing backward. You have to like pinch your fingers in this weird way. The contrast is perfect, overexposed or underexposed and super dark and I like all of the photos. Yeah. The arms actually swing out from the inner cylinder. There's this metallic-y sound as the arms bob in the tanks. is exposed one frame at a time moving down into the first spider arm and then the spider arm rotates around the tanks which is attached to a transmission that makes it go up and down up and down go up and down up and down arms are called spiders up and down up and down and they swing out and hold the pictures and bob them so they can develop seven pictures at once the photos then get fed into a shoot and then they come out <laughs> And then, yeah, after about sort of two and a half, three minutes, depending on the model, you'll get your photos outside. From Radiotopia, you're listening to Love and Radio. I'm Nick Vanderkolk. Today's episode, Photochemical. The first picture that I have in my collection was from 1999. I was going on a movie night with my mom and my two sisters. Because I was like 11, I chose Spice World. But afterwards, we used this black and white photo booth in the basement of this mall. My mom was still holding the popcorn from the movie, so the popcorn is like up to her face in a lot of the pictures. Just something sort of like clicked for me. This is just so great. There are these booths all around downtown, and I went to school downtown. I was within walking distance of, I think, like five photo booths back then. They just became this place for me to slip away to and take these pictures just for myself. Spending four bucks a week on a photo booth as a teenager was a lot of money to me, so I would plan really elaborate photo shoots and bring in tons of costumes and props and backgrounds. I was just sort of like figuring out the timing and my angles and all of that. I would take the pictures with me in mind, but then would obsessively show them to like all of my friends and social group. 
social media didn't exist back then. There wasn't like a way to like easily show pictures of yourself to people. Whenever we had like a boring moment in class or like waiting for something, I would take out the pictures and sort of like entertain people by passing them around. By like 2004, I was pretty well known as like the photo booth girl. Yeah. The inconsistencies in photo booth pictures show me that the photo booth is alive in this way. It's not this sterile digital thing using binary code to operate. It's this unpredictable component. There are just so many factors that change how the photos are going to come out that come down to like how old the paper is, if the paper was ever partially exposed, the temperature of the chemicals, how often the booth is used. That's a really big part of it too. All of those things together are sort of markers of that photo booth and and really define it, you know, like even if all the components on the inside are the same as every other dip and dunk photo booth, they've all kind of had their own history that sort of marks their photos. You're not just hiring the photo booth to take your picture. You're paying for it for its interpretation of that moment, too, when you choose to use it. Can you describe where we are? We are in this awesome bar in Montreal called North Star Pinball. They have a ton of vintage pinball machines. And then they also have an awesome color chemical photo booth. And what model photo booth is this? This is now kind of a Frankenstein model because it's got the new camera in it, but this was a 17P or a 17C. And you can tell from up here, 17C. Okay. Should we come up with a plan? How are we going to do this? Real close here. Are you afraid of making like stupid, silly faces and stuff like that? Okay, great. I know some people are. Let's do a like serious interview one where I'll look like I'm being interviewed. And then we should do one monster face, whatever monster means to you. Okay. That can be the second photo in the strip. And we can just look like we're melting. So monster is the melting. And then the last one we'll do like a nice smiling photo. You should be able to see half of your face in the reflection and all of my face. So serious interview. I think it's really important to have your portrait taken. <laughs> Then the monsters. It creates this little moment of time of you in the world uh, melting. It validates that you existed that day and is a marker for your life and where you were at that time. And oh, I'm so blind after that one. Oh, and smiling. <laughs> the photo allows you to be remembered on by people. Good job. All right, describe what you're doing. I am putting my fingers in the dispenser slot. <laughs> That's a really great face. <laughs> Very serious interview. Well, that's what you asked Question for. There. I did. <laughs> oh, interesting. This fabric reflected in a sort of weird way. The shine of it. Great job, team. When photo booths first came onto the market in the 1920s, they cost 25 cents, which is equivalent to $4 today. And previous to that, it was really, really expensive to have your portraits taken and was something that really only like middle and upper class people had available to them. A lot of marginalized populations, like gay and lesbian couples, were able to take their first photos together of them being intimate. No photo studio would allow them to take those kind of portraits and you couldn't really develop a roll of film with those kind of pictures on it back then. 
I think it did a lot for people to be able to just take photos of themselves and not have the judgment of a photographer on the other side of the lens. Can you just begin by explaining what you're holding in your lap right now? Sure. I'm holding a three-inch ring binder that zips shut, and in it is probably about two to 3,000 photo booth pictures. This one's a really cool photo because this one is a mugshot. So models 11A were uh, originally used in police departments. This guy has got huge hair and uh, he's, he's in for something, but he also looks like everything will be fine. Yeah, he looks maybe a little stoned. This woman is amazing. This is the only photo I have of her in my personal collection, but there are hundreds of pictures of her. Most of the people who are like more on top of collecting the vintage photos than me have nabbed up. And everyone's just trying to figure out who she is. She's always posing with different men, sometimes kissing them on the mouth, sometimes kissing them on the cheek. And it's always the same exact photo booth model and background. They wonder if she like worked at this bar and like posed with men and pretended to be their girlfriends or whatever as like a service or something. There's like just hundreds of these pictures. Though, if she had done that as employment, it wouldn't explain why all these photos were still collected together in the end. So she must have had copies of them, or someone else kept copies of them. So this photo was a gift to me. And, uh, yeah, so on the back, not on the actual back, because that would be sacrilegious to write on it. But I wrote a note attached to the back saying, rare photo of professional poser. I have found a lot of photo booth pictures almost always in the actual dispenser of the photo booth. Like someone had to leave before they could take them out or didn't realize that they weren't instant and that they had to wait three minutes, so they left before then. Sometimes I'll actually find them in the photo booth as if someone found them in the dispenser and felt they shouldn't leave them there and then like took them out of the dispenser and like left them on the seat or on the floor for someone to come back for, I guess. 90% of the photo booth pictures I've found in my life have been within 10 feet of a photo booth. You just have to, like, know to look for them. So, you know, when you see people, like, walking past a payphone and they, like, go and they put their, like, two fingers in that slot to see if there's change that's left behind? I'm like that with photo booths. Like, I'm always taking a peek to see if there's anything left in the dispenser. By the... End of my degree, I had kind of found that the most interesting pictures in my collection were not the um, highly posed backgrounds, costumes, and props photos, but they were actually the everyday, didn't look particularly good, but like the photos captured some genuine emotion from me. I started to do a lot of work with those pictures, and those photos were almost always really unflattering, but captured something really honest and at times very vulnerable. That's when I actually started to feel interested in the feeling of oversharing, I think, with people and what happens when you become really vulnerable by sharing personal details. And I would say that I do that to this day, as in right now. (laughs) Yeah. So in 2012, I met this man who runs this photo booth company, uh, refurbishing vintage photo booths in Chicago. He offered me a job and I was like, yeah, it took me two seconds to think about saying yes to it. It was like the most obvious thing I wanted to do with my life. 
all of the work I've been doing with Photobooth sort of like culminated in actually getting to work with the machines. All of the experience I'd had with Photobooth prior to this was really about the pictures and not so much about the booths. I had never really had access to get inside of a photo booth and get messy with it and actually like surface it and work with the chemicals and the camera. Working with the Photobooth was totally 110% invigorating. I think that Photobooth definitely replaced intimate relationships. They replaced my most important relationships because I literally moved away from a city where I had hundreds of amazing friends and I left a relationship to move to Chicago. I left all those people for photo booths. Photo booths had already been what I would consider like among my best friends for a long time, starting as a teenager. It was almost like getting serious with a friend like a friend who you'd always kind of love, like you had this best friend, and then like one day you looked at them differently and it was like, whoa. There's one booth in particular that I was using um, pretty much every day and it was my responsibility to like keep its uh, water and chemicals topped off. And um, I had sort of free reign of the booth and uh, it's a Model 11. It's not like the boxy photo booths that we think of today. It was from the early 50s. Really beautiful, like, cursive signage on the side. It's all, like, mint green, which is one of my favorite colors anyway. Beautiful red finish to the wood in the booth. The back isn't flat. The back is rounded, so you can really push your whole body into the back of it and take photos much further depth of field than average photo booths. The camera was super, super sharp. I learned how to use this machine really well. I learned what the ideal temperature and conditions were for it to take the best photos possible. And it just felt like when I took photos in it, we were really in sync. Um, yeah. And it felt like when I was taking really good pictures in it, it kind of had that feeling of like, hey, yeah, like way to go team. Like we did this together, you know? Like it's, it wasn't a solo activity. The booth, I think of it as a major collaborator. I kind of look back on that period and I'm like sad now or kind of jealous of how easy it was to be so pleased. I could be on top of the world because of a cool experiment we did with some photo booth chemicals on a new type of color paper and the photos came out like in a reversed palette or whatever, and I would be, like, just so thrilled. And then that was, like, the coolest thing that happened to me that week. I am... I have definitely been turned on by using photo booths, by the experience of using photo booths. It's not like I look at a photo booth and I'm instantly turned on. They're not in inherently sexy to me. Um, but the act of using a photo booth especially when like the photos are good and everything is like syncing up nicely and it's working really well, can definitely be an arousing experience for me. When I moved to Montreal, I did actually date somebody for a while when I first moved here that my sister introduced me to. The first time I really noticed how Photobus interfered with my relationships with actual people was while having sex with him. And um, I... Uh, started very consistently always seeing photo booths. Um, not the pictures, but the actual machines. Whenever we were, whenever, yeah, I was like climaxing or we were doing romantic stuff. And uh, Every time? 
pretty consistently, maybe not every time, but it was uh, a regular occurrence. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I was just, uh, I was just falling in love. So it felt really, it all felt really good. There was nothing about it that felt weird. Um, but I knew it must have also been weird because at that same time, I felt compelled to look up people who fall in love with objects. <laughs> and I watched this documentary about objectum sexuality or like objectophiles, as they're sometimes called. This documentary was like horrifying. Um, it really, it did not paint these people in a good light. And I immediately was like, I'm not like them. I don't want to be one of them. But I also am reminded of this woman that I know in the photo booth community who, she's like, I'm not a hoarder, not like one of those hoarders on TV. It's like, oh, those shows are horrific. And then I went to her house and I was like, oh, wow, she's a hoarder. Like, so when I say I'm not an objective sexual, I also know, um, I know that I'm saying that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. I lead mostly a celibate life mm -hmm. uh, by choice. I don't like how falling in love with somebody changes me. Whenever I start to fall for somebody, it like feels like I'm slowly being poisoned, you know? The chemicals in your bodies are actually changing and shifting as you're becoming more intimate with somebody and like swapping saliva and messing your brain up with having orgasms. When I do start to fall for somebody, it just feels like I'm getting drugged. And I'm, like, losing sight of who I am. Yeah, in a real bad way. Within 20 minutes of, like, imagined, you know, the house we're going to retire in and its floor plan and stuff. Like, like I'm, <laughs> it moves pretty fast. I, like, I try people on mentally all the time. The last person that I, like, had a regular sexual relationship with, I just got no work done that entire time. And I was constantly blowing off deadlines and project schedules so that I could just drop everything and have sex. And it was, it was kind of awful. Great. No, it was the worst. <laughs> I got nothing done. Whenever I've been in a relationship with somebody... Though I can tell they're feeling things back at me, I know that the feelings I have for them are things I'm creating for myself anyway. Despite the fact that there's two people making that relationship happen, I only will ever know my experience of that relationship. And so in that way, it's always sort of one-sided. So with my relationship with Photoboost, I don't really see it any differently. I'm loving them, and from my experience, it feels like they're loving me back. I don't really need anything more than that to feel like it's a valid relationship. I know what a psychologist would say about this kind of attraction and attention, I think. What would they say? Um, <laughs> I don't know. They'd probably say that like you're projecting some like f feelings of... like you never want to love anyone again or you never want to be loved by anyone again onto an object because it's far safer because it won't break your heart the same way a human would or something like that, which I don't doubt that there's truth to that. However, I feel that when I'm using a photo booth, they know that I'm a friend of theirs and that there's like a, a sort of language that we're using 
that goes like way deeper and far beyond actual language where they get what I'm putting out and they get who's using them. And they know that this is like a special person using them. And so we're going to work on taking these photos together. What was it like in Chicago? Um, so, <laughs> uh, this is so funny to say on the radio. Uh, okay. So there were times when I was the last person to leave the studio. And, uh, so I would lock everything up and I, uh, would use a photo booth just by myself. <laughs> uh, how, to, how to put this in a way? I'm so sorry to my friends from Chicago who are like, oh God. Um, yeah. From my perception of what was happening and from how it felt, I felt like I was having sex with a photo booth in the way that it would make sense to have sex with an inanimate object. It wasn't about like being risque or shock value or anything. It was just uh, about me in the photo booth and it felt very intimate and it felt amazing. And I felt very understood and like very well taken care of by my lover. I had noticed, of course, that photo booths had been disappearing for quite a while, but I didn't really understand the extent that they were going to be gone, gone relatively soon. I think as like a teenager who was obsessed with using photo booths, I had always just imagined that I would like always be able to take pictures this way and use photo booths with my kids and like that kind of thing. I finally learned in 2012 how short-lived the industry would be. In Canada, there's a handful of color photo booths that are left, but they'll be gone pretty soon, like within at most six months, probably closer to like two to three. And those are pretty much just left in Montreal, as far as I know, because the company that runs all those photo booths is based here in Montreal. So there's about like 10 left in the metro systems. Now when I visit photo booths, the feeling is like there's so few left to visit that it's more like I'm visiting a sick friend and I'm happy to get this much more time with them. I can still have that fun, playful experience with a photo booth, but a lot of the time it feels really like we're just hanging on to something before they go. The photo booths that are left are in pretty public spaces, which definitely changes how I use them. So it feels less about us. It's kind of like visiting a friend in their hospital room with a nurse in the room. Sometimes when I think about it, I still will get very bothered and cry. I'm a 30-year-old woman crying about these machines leaving. It's just so sad to me that at a certain point in my life, I'm never going to be able to continue this tradition of documenting my life this way. We are in the Place des Arts metro station. We're going to go down these steps and see if the booth is still there or not. What kind of booth is it? Uh, 
can't remember if it's a 17P or 17C. That's the same model. It's just a different number for the same thing. But uh, it's a very standard Canadian color photo booth. My stomach is like tightening right now. So we'll do our dive on it very soon. It's still there. That's it for Love and Radio. Mags has written an amazing graphic novel about her adventures with photo booths. She asked that I not directly link to it. But if you do some internet searching, I bet you can find it. This episode was produced by Benjamin Frisch, Jesse Carrier, Julia DeWitt, and Stephen Jackson. Special thanks also to George Langford, who composed the introductory photo booth song at the beginning of the show, and to Brian Meacham of photobooth.net, and Tim Garrett, who provided many of the photo booth recordings that you heard. Love and Radio is a production of PRX's Radiotopia, whose executive producer is Julie Shapiro. Radiotopia's founding sponsor is the Knight Foundation. Now, I know that there are lots of you out there with collections of photo booth photos, and I would love for you to share them with me. Just use the hashtag Love and Radio on Instagram or post it to our Facebook page. Thanks for listening.
right, we'll take two strips. So for the first one, we'll do like a similar game to what we did yesterday where we called out animals. Okay. But we'll say any word. And then each of us will react to whatever word it is. Okay. So think of two words and keep them to yourself. Okay, I have two words. Do you have two words? I do. Okay. So I'll say the first one, you say second one. I'll say the third, you say fourth. Sounds great. Okay. I don't actually have my two words, but I'll, it's fine. I'll go right <laughs> okay. First. First word is party. We have to look like partying. <laughs> okay, okay uh, uh, Rowan Mars. Oh, um, uh, um, roller coaster. Uh, ship. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, Roman Mars. That's the first That's time, the first time anyone has ever used Roman Mars in this fun food game. I was going to say a different word altogether, but then I felt it was going to be too similar to my Roman Mars look, so I was going to say computer. You hear that, Roman? You're yeah. a goddamn computer. <laughs>